So don't, there you go. It is a blessing to have everybody with us this morning, and uh, of course, it, it's always a privilege to be in the body of Christ. Uh, I will say, I love when Jerry was encouraging everybody to come Wednesday night and come early just to make sure you can get a seat. Isn't it great to know that we have a church activity that we're worried about whether or not we can get everybody seated or you're going to have to stand in the back? Uh, this past week, I think it was our first time with over 50 people at our Wednesday night adult Bible study, which is really more of a, um, uh, at this point, it's apologetics, which is really defining what we believe and why we believe it, so that when others maybe ask, well, how do you deal with the issue of creation? There's so many different perspectives out there. We are at least prepared to give a response to that, and it is an incredible blessing. I think that um, we have one more week with Christian teaching, and then I'll teach the next couple weeks after that, but it's great to uh, have individuals who really want to be able to share their faith with other people and to be able to defend their faith, and uh, I invite you to come be a part of it. Again, that's at 7 o'clock each Wednesday night. I do want to take a moment and just celebrate some individuals for a moment today. It's not because they are better than anyone else who is present here, nor is it because they're doing something in hopes of receiving recognition. It's just because what they're doing is an incredible blessing. And I do realize that for some of them, a part of what they are doing is intended for the, their own personal and academic benefit as they fulfill college requirements. But they are serving, and what they are doing is being a blessing to other people. I'm talking about two groups of people. One is our retired ministers, and the other would be our ministerial interns. Um, I've grouped them together for a reason today. Yesterday, they gathered here at the church just to learn from each other. It would seem that many of our retired ministers and their spouses still have incredible value to offer to those who will be the leaders of the church tomorrow. In addition, neither of these groups are merely leaders of yesterday or tomorrow. They are leaders today. They are serving by visiting, by praying, by leading and singing, by encouraging, by mentoring other people, and by teaching. So today I begin with a huge thank you to each of those who are in that, those categories. I also want to take a moment, and some of you may have noticed there's some construction going on around the church here, and it is a blessing that other individuals who have uh, recognize the need to do certain things, have stepped up, and we are so grateful for your service. Uh, I think that they would probably be mad if I called them by name, so I'm not going to do that, but I will say your service is an incredible blessing. Thank you for being willing to do that. Let me go one step further, reminding you that each of us has been created and called to lead in some way or another. God has given each of us certain gifts as I talked about last week, that enables you to lead in different ways. The ways you lead will not be the same ways that I lead. God didn't create you to take up space. He created you to be a world changer so that you could impact the lives of other people. So as we talked about last week, fulfill your purpose. Let me remind you where we've been in this series already. This is all foundational material that uh, not only sets the stage for 2020, but it also gives us something solid to stand on outside of 2020. The first thing that we talked about was the need for each of us to know God. 
Of course, God came in human flesh 2,000 years ago, displaying an incredible love, grace, and power. Jesus Christ became a model for you and me and everyone else in between, leading with a servant's heart. But the other thing that Jesus did was he enabled us to find freedom, which was the second message in this series. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He made it possible for us to be fully transformed, no longer being enslaved by our past sins, our past failures, our past pains, or the foolish misconceptions that somehow we have bought into. We were made in the image of God, and we were made for eternal life. And of course, that freedom affects life here, but it also affects us after we die. And then last week, we looked at the fact that we need to find purpose. True purpose is not found in our own personal agendas or desires, but in what God has created you for. And you can rest assured that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. You are not an accident. You are not some random mutation that happened to form. You were perfectly formed to accomplish things that God had in mind for you today. The primary characters that we've looked at over these last three weeks have included Saul and John the Baptist, two people who knew God, who found freedom, and they found purpose. And this enabled them to truly make an impact. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, making an impact. These were not covert Christians putting on their Christian costumes on Sunday morning and then then living the rest of the week disguised as ordinary people. The fact is they could have chosen to do that, but we wouldn't be talking about them today if that's what they had done. In fact, they would have lived full, long lives, but both of them were so emphatic, so passionate about this God who had delivered them that they simply could not keep quiet. These were people who knew God and therefore couldn't keep quiet about it. These were people who had found freedom and wanted others to experience that same freedom. These were people who understood that they had a purpose that needed to be fulfilled. These were people who understood that the rest of the world desperately needed the freedom and purpose that they had. And guess what? None of that has changed. How about you? Can you make an impact like they did? You say, I don't know if I could ever be a John the Baptist. I'm not expecting you to go walk around with uh, these strange clothes on that other people almost look at and think, he's weird. I'm not asking you to be Saul. An individual who literally had to give up everything to the point that he would spend repeatedly, he would spend time in prison over and over and over again. I'm not telling you that you have to be all of the things that they were, but I am going to tell you that God created you with a very specific purpose, and he gave you specific gifts, and he gave you incredible freedom. And he gave you the opportunity for redemption, and maybe you could actually use that to bring it to others. I believe that each of us can and should make an impact like they did. 
I just want to point out one more thing to you before we get to our text. There's a reason why making an impact is so difficult. You see, I, I can know God, but that is an internal thing. I can stay on my couch and experience God's peace and his forgiveness and feel good about my eternal destination. But again, my relationship with God can exist between just me and God. It is internal. I'm not saying that it should just stay internal. I think that we ought to be able to share with other people the life that we have. But there are many who have said, well, you know, that's between you and God. And to know God is somewhat eternal. Internal. Likewise, I can find freedom from all this junk. And although some may notice that something is different about me, that freedom is still internal. I'm no longer fighting the battle in my mind. I am free. But that's internal again. I can find purpose and feel good about my existence. But again, that's internal. But when we shift to making an impact in other people's lives, we're now talking about moving from internal to external. It requires your faith to go public. We're talking about putting feet to the transformation that is occurring inside of each of us. Now, as we talk about this today, I want us to use two passages, both from the book of Matthew. I had Maria read, read one of them earlier to you. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40. The other one will be in Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. And if you would, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 22 just to kind of get us started. It is a familiar passage, as you've probably all heard someone preach on this at least a few dozen times, perhaps even hearing it in secular conversations. It's Jesus' response to a question. What is the greatest commandment? On the one side, Jesus could have simply said, well, you shall have no other gods before me. And truthfully, it'd be hard to argue with that logic. But you know how people are. If Jesus would have said that, then generations down the road, and maybe even in his current generation at that time, but generations down the road, we'd be looking at this and we'd be saying, well, you know, Jesus didn't think thou shalt not commit adultery was all that big of a deal. Or you can pick whichever other one you want. Because we would pick that one and say, well, that's important, but the other nine, they're not really that big of a deal. So instead, Jesus doesn't just pick one commandment. Instead, he finds a way to summarize all of the commandments while getting to the true heart of the matter. Look at it, beginning in verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So let's start here. In order to truly make an impact, you must begin by loving God and then loving people. But I want you to notice what Jesus has done here. In summarizing all of the commandments, he has grouped them together with the internal, love the Lord your God, and the external, loving people together. They should be one. 
You see, there is an expectation that these will go hand in hand with each other. And when you do them together, you will make an impact. So this is what I want you to do. If you're taking notes and you guys have in your bullets and each Sunday you have different points and there are blanks that you need to fill in, this is not a blank. But you will see the first point is love God and love people. I want you to write out beside, again, this is not the blank, but I want you to write this as a note. I want you to write beside there a simple statement. Get your heart right. Plain and simple, if your heart is not right with God, then you can never truly make the impact that you were created to make. I'm not saying you can't be a good person. You can't be influential in the world around you. You can. You can do some really good things, and people may like you, but you will never make the impact that God intended for you to make until you allow your heart to be made right with God. The same is true about your relationship with other people. I found that if people truly know that you love them, then they are far more open to the things that you say. My pastor used to tell me often when I was growing up that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I believe that to be true. So if you want to make an impact, start by getting your heart right. Now some of you are saying, well, I know Jesus, so... I guess my heart is right. And I do appreciate that sentiment. Many of you certainly know what God expects. So you go to church when you're supposed to, and you can quote different verses of Scripture, and you even serve in various ministries in the church. But you can do that by just believing about God. But if you're going to take your faith to the world outside, we need to go a step further by believing in God. You see, at some point, our belief about God needs to turn into belief in God. Let me challenge you on this for a moment. Throughout history, there have been many who knew about Jesus or God, yet their heart was not right. As Joshua prepared to lead the Israelites against Jericho, we're told that the people's hearts melted. We're talking about the people in Jericho. The people's hearts melted with fear because they had heard about the mighty things which God had done for Israel. They knew about God, but they didn't really know God. We're even told that Satan and his demons know about Jesus. But that knowledge about Jesus doesn't transform anything in their lives, nor the life to come. Belief about Jesus must lead to belief in Jesus. In fact, that's what Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer in Acts 16.31. He already knew about Jesus and all that he had, been, he had done But when he asked them, what must I do to be saved? They replied with, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're good, don't worry. There was the expectation that this Philippian jailer would go beyond believing with his head, but that he would allow this belief to penetrate his heart. You know, Joshua 3 records a story of belief in rather than a belief out. You don't have to turn there, but I do want to summarize it for you. The Israelites are preparing to cross the Jordan, and God instructs the priests to lead the way, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That means four of them, one on each corner. We're told that as they go, that the river is at flood stage. It is not the time of year you want to be out in the deep water. While there is some detail, there's also some room for speculation. The passage says as, as soon as the feet of the priests touched the water, the water began to dry up. Yet the ancient rabbis claim that these priests didn't just stop and wait. It's as if they're carrying this ark, and as they touch their feet in the water, then they stop to wait for the rest of the water to go down. Actually, the ancient rabbis claim that what they did was they continued to walk, carrying this Ark of the Covenant, continuing to walk until they reached the point that the water had risen and had actually reached just below their nostrils. So that they were still able to breathe, but they knew that at any moment they could fall. You know how significant that is? The reality is, if anyone even touched the Ark of the Covenant, we see later on in Scripture that they would be killed. There is a great price. You were to treat this Ark with great care. But here they are. They have taken the instruction that Joshua gave them to take the Ark of the Covenant and walk in to the water. And they have gone forward knowing that this is significant. As they reach the point where the water reached their nostrils, the ancient rabbis claim that suddenly they began to realize and the water began to decrease significantly to the point that they could continue to walk through. Belief in God says, I will march forward trusting that God will provide. I'll go as deep as God calls me to go. And certainly this is made easier because they know that God has done this before. At the Red Sea, God had parted the waters. He had dried it for them. But knowing about what God has done before is very different from believing in what he is going to do today. So now let's talk about the second greatest commandment. This is the loving others, and in your notes, it talks about helping whomever you can help. I encourage you to write out beside this, get your hands right. The first one was get your heart right, get your hands right. We've talked about getting your heart right already. We need to get our hands right, but it has to begin with getting your heart right. So you can't, do, you can't just say, well, you know what, I'm just going to get my hands right, and that's where we're going to start, and then eventually the heart will catch up. We'll figure it out. No, I'm telling you, we need to begin with our heart, and then we need to make sure we get our hands right. There are multiple parts of this. The first is simple. Right hearts lead to right actions, which means that you can no longer walk in the same old sinful nature. 
If you are a liar before coming to Christ, as your heart becomes in tune with God's heart, lying should become a part of your past, not your present nor your future. The same is true with every form of sexual immorality, fits of rage, whatever else you want to include with that. The point is when our heart changes, our actions, our hands, the things we do should change. But it also should change the way we see other people. Maybe you're one of those folks who has always been attentive to the brokenness of others, the pain of other people. That can be a blessing and a curse. See, before our hearts are right with God, we can often see their pain and we can feel bad for them. We can see their pain and we can maybe even blame them. We can see their pain and simply be grateful that we are not in their shoes. But now that we believe in God, our approach must change. Seeing their pain isn't enough. It must lead to healing their pain as well. It means I can't sit back and just ignore the pain of others. I have to do something about it. Please know that there is incredible value in prayer. And I'm not suggesting that praying for people is somehow not beneficial. But when you see someone who is hurting and you respond to their pain by telling them that you'll pray for them, yet you're not willing to do anything hands-wise, you're sending a mixed message. Please understand that I know that there are many factors that come into play. Sometimes we see someone hurting because of a death in the family, for example. In those moments, we want to help, but we might not know what to say or what to do, so often we simply do nothing. At other times, we see people in maybe a financial crisis, and we fear that giving them more money is just going to enable them to continue down the same path. I I 100% get it. But as our hearts change, we will want to be a part of the solution, not just cheerleaders that are praying for our team from the sideline. We have to bring healing to the broken around us. What will it look like in your life? I don't really know the answer to that. I know what God is calling me to do, and I can identify ways that God is using me to bring healing in those, to those in pain. But you will see different things than what I will see, and you will have to respond in different ways. The key is not what I think you should do, but rather the key is that when your heart is right with God, he will give you clear direction on what you should do and how you should help those in need. It, it just makes sense. Remember that if your heart is in tune with God's heart, then you should start to think like God. Well, his heart is for all of humanity to experience him. And God wants to use you to bring healing to the lives of other people. Sometimes it'll be physical or financial or relational healing, but it will always, listen to me, it sometimes will be physical or financial or relational, but it will always include spiritual healing. This is the one exception. I'm going to tell you specifically what God expects of you. 
He wants you to introduce other people to Jesus Christ. The fact is that the overwhelming majority of humanity is currently destined for hell due to their lack of a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are many who follow other religious beliefs. There are many who have no religious beliefs. There are many who simply don't know what to think. But every single one of them was created in the image of God, and it is God's desire that all of them be made right with him. All of us should see their pain and want to offer healing, but the only healing available for their spiritual pain is through Jesus Christ. Do more than tell them about Jesus. Show them Jesus. For people in the church for many years who have prayed for God's return to happen quickly. And I do understand that. Lord, come back and put an end to all of the sin and the foolishness and the suffering and the pain and the division that exists in the world around us. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many people in here have prayed that prayer. But just hold on a second. Based on what we just talked about, the overwhelming majority of our society, based on the sin that exists in their lives, if the Lord were to come back today, then the overwhelming majority of our world will burn in hell for all of eternity. Maybe it's time for us to change that prayer. Instead of praying for the Lord's return to be today, Let's pray that God will give me just one more day so that I can reach my loved ones, my friends, the people that I don't even know yet with the good news of Jesus Christ. See, the pain that is caused by the presence of sin is something that has plagued all of society and only Jesus Christ can fix that. I want to encourage you to pray for the return of Christ. But as you pray, don't pray that he come today. Man, it would be great to avoid death. I get it 100%. It would be great to be ushered into the presence of God and never again have to deal with sin and suffering and death and all of the other things that come with this world. I get it. But there are too many people that I love that are not yet ready for that day. So I invite you to pray for the second coming of Christ, but as you pray, pray that God will give you one more day that maybe you could bring healing to these people whom we are supposed to love. All right, so let's get to the final point in Matthew chapter 25. It's one of the judgment passages we read in this passage. Jesus is telling what it's going to be like. Jesus is giving a glimpse of what that final judgment day will look like. I won't read the whole passage to you, but I do want you to hear at least portions of it. There'll be two groups of people that are highlighted in this particular passage. In this passage, the groups are divided as sheep on one side, and the other side are identified as goats. The sheep are on his right, the goats are on the left. Now listen to what Jesus says beginning in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. 
the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you, in, see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for your neighbor... Whatever you did for your coworker, whatever you did for that guy on the street that you've never met before, you did it for me. Obviously, the, the goats are on the other side of the aisle. They are the ones who will be punished with hell because they were selfish and they didn't help other individuals. Now, there are a couple of things that I want you to see from this particular passage. First of all, we will be judged on how we love other people. This matters to God. And it's interesting that we see salvation and God's judgment portrayed in different ways throughout the New Testament. We're told that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're told that if we believe in the Lord, we will be saved. We're told that if we confess that he is faithful and just, we will be forgiven. We're told that belief in baptism will lead to salvation. We're told that it is by faith that we are saved, but now let's look at this passage. Here, we see that salvation is connected to what we do. Please note that these passages are not in conflict with each other, but there is a simple expectation that if you believe, if you have faith, if you truly are in Christ, that these actions should naturally be taking place. It's not saying that by doing these things you are saved, but because you are children of God, because you have been redeemed, because you've been forgiven, because you've been saved, you ought to be doing certain things. All of these scriptures about faith and belief and grace and confession, they are true, but inherent within these terms is the understanding that a right heart always leads to right actions. When you see the broken, God expects you to do something about it. We live in a culture that is very much interested in raising awareness to the brokenness of others. We've, brought into, we've bought into the idea that raising an awareness will fix other people's problems. And there are those who raise awareness about hunger issues or climate issues or all kinds of things. But who cares how many people are aware of the problem if people are still hungry at the end of the day? 
I'm going to tell you, I celebrate. We had a March for Life that took place in Washington this week, and thousands upon thousands of people came. And I am so glad that the media has covered it. I'm glad that there was a president that was there. But I'm going to tell you something. All of the awareness of that is not enough if the behaviors don't change. If babies are still being killed, it makes no difference how many people showed up at that particular event. Raising awareness must lead to loving action. I want to challenge you in one other way this morning, and this is how I'm going to close. We're talking about loving those in need and helping people. And I think that for the most part, our culture gets this. I really do, sort of. <laughs> We see people whom we like, people who are attractive and they like us. When we see them in need, our first thought is, what can I do to help this individual? Well, good. But let's be brutally honest for just a moment. Some of the most ungodly people in the world have thought this way. You think of yourself as being really godly because you see someone you love who's in need and you go out of the way to help them. Some of the most ungodly people in the world have thought this way. Talk about brutally honest. Did you know Hitler could have been described with these terms? He saw people that he liked and he wanted to make sure they were taken care of, but nobody would mistakenly refer to him as a godly individual. God is not merely calling us to loving action toward those whom we like. He is calling us to loving action toward those whom he loves. And when we do that, we will make an incredible impact because the truth is God loves every individual that's ever been created. Will you be God's instrument to make an impact in the world around you? I see people nodding their heads, and I pray that you will take this call seriously. Because I don't know when the Lord will come back. Now, this is the, it used to be pastors that stand up, and we had that uh, hellfire and brimstone that they would preach. And they would talk about, you don't know if the Lord could come back today. This might be your last opportunity. You need to come to the altar. And pray. You know what? There was some truth to that. The fact is... We are not guaranteed tomorrow. So I'm going to tell you, every individual here, if your heart is not right with God, you need to make sure that your heart is right before you walk out of this place. But then also consider all of those loved ones, the people you come in contact with every day. Don't tell me about how good of people they are, because that is not what's going to get them to heaven. If their heart is not right with God, who will be the one to introduce them to a right relationship with Jesus? Will it be you? I believe that God desires us to be his instruments to show people hope and grace and to introduce them to the freedom and the eternal life that he has promised. Will you allow God to use you in that way in those people's lives? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, well, there aren't a lot of funny stories or anything like that where we sit back today and we think, wow, that was really entertaining. 
But Lord, there is deep truth here that applies to each individual that is present. Father, there are some here today who likely do not have a right heart with you. They know about you. They know the things that you have done. They know the things that they ought to do. But they do not know you personally. And I pray right now that you would introduce them intimately to you. Help them to recognize your incredible love and grace that is being extended to them. Help them to experience you not just on Sunday mornings when the pastor's speaking, but I pray that you would become such an integral part of their lives that they can't walk or talk or even eat or breathe without experiencing your intimacy. Father, I pray that their heart would be made right with you. When that day comes that you choose to return for your people, may it not be a brand new experience for any of us. Lord, instead, I pray that even now, before that comes, that we would experience you firsthand so that when we see you face to face, coming down from the clouds and calling your people to you, Lord, that this would be something we recognize you and your coming because we've spent so much time with you. We recognize your heart. But I pray right now for the family members and friends and neighbors and co-workers and other individuals who perhaps we've not even met yet and maybe they're not like us. But I pray for each one that does not know you that you would begin right now to speak to their hearts, that they would become open to this gift of salvation. I pray that you would impress upon each of our hearts that we would never be okay with them dying and spending eternity in hell. Lord, I pray that you give us a passion to truly love them the way you have loved us. Lord, I pray today that you would use us to change their lives, to make an impact for you. And we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me just challenge you. If you know of individuals that are not yet ready for Christ's return, begin to pray today for them. And then begin to look for those opportunities to introduce them to the love and the grace and the power and the freedom that Jesus Christ alone can offer. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.